It is not the task of the writer to tell all, or even decide what to leave in, but to decide what to leave out. Caitlin R. Kiernan. You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing. Welcome to Writing Roots. I'm Lee Hole. And I'm Lee Esses. We're talking today about head hopping. And that is effectively when we're seeing two different points of view at once. There are very few things that will make me actually put a book down. Lee knows this. I will plow my way through a book, regardless of how much I hate it, if I can find a couple of redeeming qualities. But the one thing that will, without fail, make me put down a book and never pick it up again is head hopping, because I don't like being confused trying to read. That is separate than being confused about what's happening in the plot, because mysteries are a thing and that's fine. I don't like being confused about who is saying what and thinking what. So how do we identify head hopping? That's what this whole month is about, is identifying different problems in your own writing or other people's and deciding how best to fix it or if this problem even applies in the first place. Obviously, if we're showing the opinions of two different people, not their physical expressions, but their actual opinions, at the same time, without a scene break, in the same paragraph even, then this is a problem. This is head hopping defined. Now, of course, one of the ways that you can fix that is simply have somebody say their opinion out loud rather than this is their opinion inside their head at this moment. That is head hopping. You also need to be careful about reading characters' thoughts. If you're telling this particular scene from the female main character's point of view, and then suddenly she is reading the thoughts of her love interest then that is head hopping. Suddenly she knows too much about what that other character is thinking without having to interpret some sort of facial expression or body language. There are a couple of ways to convey thoughts. In italics is the most popular way to do it. I desperately want that chocolate, he thought. Pretty straightforward, we're reading his thoughts there. This is a style that I'm not a huge fan of, because unless somebody has the power to read thoughts, this is not exactly how we think. They just desperately want the chocolate. That is an emotion, an opinion, something internal on your character. So if she says that she really is hungry, and she's thinking that, and then it hops to his point of view, and he's saying, I desperately want the chocolate, you're head hopping between the two characters. So if you have any thoughts in italics, this is something to take a closer look at. It's not necessarily always head hopping, but it makes it so much easier to head hop. Absolutely. And if you are expressing those italic thoughts from more than one character without scene breaks, without a full point of view change, then that is absolutely head hopping. Don't do it. Also, keep in mind, this can happen. Head hopping can happen in every single point of view. Every single style of writing that you can do, third person, first person, every style of writing, you can accidentally head hop if you are not paying close enough attention. So for omniscient authors, the reader should feel like somebody else in the scene looking over the events in the moment. So we're just seeing brows furrow. We aren't feeling blood boil. 
these things that only the point of view person can understand, they are not things that you get to access. I think Lemony Snicket does this fairly well because it is usually done in kind of that flippant, snarky, whimsical sarcasm. This is a difficult point of view to write and write well. So if you want to do omniscient, be very careful and very deliberate about what you are letting the reader see. And then learn to identify the difference between what one character is assuming about another character and what the character knows about themselves. I can watch Lee throw her soda can across the room and assume she's angry. That is a reasonable assumption. Well, in reality, I may be trying to kill the mouse that's in my room. In which case, I still feel like there's anger there. (laughs) But I don't feel that anger for myself. That is not a knowledge that I have. I don't get that blood boiling inside of myself. I'm just witnessing someone I know very well express an emotion. And so I can assume what the emotions are. This difference, that difference between assumption and knowledge, is so often the root of plot development in books like drama or romance or contemporary literature. That difference between I know how they feel and I'm assuming that they're feeling this way because of how I see them act. That is part of why head hopping bothers me so much because I most often see it in romances. And it is always done very poorly when it happens in those romances, because I want that character tension of them not quite knowing what everybody else is thinking. That tension is what leads to big dramatic moments and those big reveals and, oh, I misunderstood you the entire time and it wasn't a miscommunication, just a misunderstanding. That is why head hopping is bad, because it takes away all of that tension for the reader, because the reader is seeing exactly what everybody says in a very chaotic manner. So let's get into some examples here. I feel like we've pretty well defined why this is a problem, but how do I know if I'm doing it in my own writing? Our first example is Gary wanted to go over and talk to her, but she was unable to concentrate properly with Tiffany staring daggers at her. How does Gary know that she can't concentrate? What about her body language? What about her facial expression is giving away that she can't concentrate properly? Also, Gary is very insightful to not only see that she can't concentrate properly, but know exactly it's because of Tiffany staring daggers. I mean, she might be aware that Gary wants to come and talk to her, but your keys here are Gary wanted to go over. That is from Gary's point of view. But she was unable to concentrate properly. So unable to concentrate also from her point of view. This is one of those that is happening within a single sentence, but we're seeing two different points of view at once, Gary's and hers, whoever she is. Why was she acting all prim even when no one else was around? Like they hadn't spent last night dancing waltzes under the full moon. Like he was nothing more than a kitchen boy to her again. Not at all, she replied. Do not look at him, she told herself. That's one paragraph. So we are seeing, I think, him thinking about her, wondering why she's basically spurning him and treating him like a kitchen boy, 
And then she outwardly responds to his inner thoughts. And then very clearly with her, we have in italics, do not look at him, she told herself. So that is clearly from her point of view when the first half is clearly from his point of view because he's confused about her actions. This is problematic in a lot of ways. The head hopping being the foremost of those ways. This, I think, is the most egregious version of the head hopping, where you have a character thinking something and then another character responds to their thoughts. This will never happen. Dave sat up on his surfboard and looked toward the shore. Two people, John and Brian, were desperately paddling up to the line. Nice day, Dave said. So this one, I have less of a problem with. This one feels more like omniscient to me. Maybe the word desperately might be showing some of their point of view. Well, desperately could be describing their types of motions Mm -hmm. where they're desperately moving and you can tell they're struggling against the surf. That one doesn't convey as much head hopping as I think just being able to look and describe how those people are moving. Mm -hmm. So this one, I'm going to say no head hopping closer to an omniscient because we really aren't seeing anyone's internal thoughts in this. All right. Last one we're going to go with She didn't bother to hide her contempt, but he had no intention of yielding. If this is from his point of view, I don't hate it. When we're saying she didn't bother to hide her contempt, there is an implication that he is reading that in her expression. Even though we're not seeing the expression, which the writing could improve on this one, but it's not telling us her inner thoughts. It's telling us her external expression of her contempt, which works because then he can say, yep, she hates me. She has contempt, but I'm not going to yield. Yeah, I would agree with that. The problem child in this sentence is bother because that implies an internal emotion versus an external physical thing. So I would actually add an adverb into that and go, she clearly didn't bother to hide her contempt. So that moves the internal emotion external. So he is seeing she's clearly not doing this. Hopefully all of these examples have helped you figure out where that line is between head hopping and omniscient and character point of view. Because really, when you choose to write from a point of view, whatever point of view that is, you need to stick to it. You need to focus and be consistent with it. And I think that's one of my biggest problems with head hopping is the inconsistency that it brings to the story. Yeah, it's generally a very easy way to disconnect your readers from your characters and remind them that they're reading. So especially if you're used to reading film scripts and comic books and these kind of things where you don't have that narrative point of view as clear, then this is something to keep an eye out for. But invest in your point of view character, whatever they're doing in that scene. Step into the scene as if you're one of the characters. And I think that'll make the whole thing a lot easier to write selfishly. If you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover, send us an email at writingroots at aspenhousepublishing.com or find us on Facebook by searching for Aspen House Publishing. 